Hey guys, it's Darren Goldwater, a play-by-play announcer and owner of Nellwater Sports, nellwatersports.com. I'm super pumped to partner up with the Say the Damn Score Nation to present to you this podcast. I Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 65 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a sportscaster currently in the process of moving from South Dakota to the Twin Cities. This podcast is dedicated to the sportscasting business and sharing career paths, stories, and advice from sportscasters at all levels across the country. Today, I'm excited to be joined by the voice of the South Dakota State Jackrabbits, Tyler Merriam. Tyler, how's it going today? I'm doing well, Logan. How are you? You know, any better and I would be the voice of the Jackrabbits. <laughs> well, you have good taste, my friend. <laughs> Don't tell anybody that I work for right now that I said that. But um, I guess let's just start off at the beginning. What was the first moment when you knew in your life that you wanted to go into sportscasting? Oh, I was probably five, six years old. I knew from a very young age it was something I wanted to do. And I can recall sitting with a tape recorder or a walkie-talkie in the basement of my house, broadcasting, be it the games on TV or video games I would play. I would take them up to the basketball gym that our high school played at and would sit in the corner of the gym and do the games myself and probably annoy all the old ladies that sat near me. But from a very early age, I had a love of sports that my family had passed down to me. And I had the gift of gab that my family had passed down to me. And it just was sort of natural to combine those two skill sets. And so here we are. So when was the first time that you really started thinking, you know what, maybe this is what I want to do for a career? Oh, like I said, it was very early. I mean, I was very committed to wanting to do something like this. I didn't necessarily understand, of course, growing up, everything that was part of the process certainly didn't know all the twists and turns and, and that a job like this would come up and that I would have it. But I wanted to be play-by-play. I wanted to do radio and TV. I wanted to do Major League Baseball. I, you know, you had all those big dreams. But, I mean, I wanted to be on our local radio stations when I was a kid in, in elementary school and middle school, and I got to do that in, in high school. So it's literally been a love affair for me from a, a very young age. And, and we always joke there are a lot of people that I went to high school and college with that didn't know what they wanted to do, and, and some are still debating what they want to do now. Literally, I knew what I wanted to do when I was six, seven years old, and everybody knew that. It was just sort of, oh, he's this is what Tyler's going to do, and and may I never refer to myself in third person ever again, Logan, but that was sort of the way that uh, that things played out growing up. So you grew up in Pierre, South Dakota, and that is, it's the capital of South Dakota, but it's not exactly the natural hub of uh, art, culture, and humanities. <laughs> You know, what did you do to get your opportunity doing some sports on the air when you were in high school? Well, as you mentioned, it is a unique situation being the capital city, yet it's one of only two that an interstate doesn't directly run through as far as state capitals in in our uh, great United States. So it's unique in that regard, but it's also unique in that because it is so isolated, that there is no professional sports. I mean, if you want to talk major league sports, you got to go seven or eight hours. Professional sports on the minor league level, you have to go three hours. They really rally around their high schools. And so because of that, we had two clusters of stations in Pierre growing up. Both did high school basketball for all three of the high school uh, in the area, which would be Pier. There's one right across the river in Fort Pier, and then there's one less than 30 miles away, Sully Buttes in, in, uh, in Oneida and Blunt. And, and they all got radio time. 
And then in the summer, baseball was a huge deal. American Legion Baseball and Pier within the state, it's a pretty good program. It has been for a while. That was on the radio. And so there were these opportunities because there were games on the radio. And at the time, the sports director at one of the stations, Chris Stevens was his name, had actually done SDSU football and basketball for a number of years in Brookings before he ended up in Pier. And my uncles, uh, three of them played football and baseball here at South Dakota State. One of them was in Pierre, knew Chris. I had a connection that way, got to know him and would do stats for him as an as a student in elementary and middle school. And then eventually got to do some radio with him of the games in high school. He got me started also with an on-air shift at KCCR Radio in Pierre. And so that's kind of how I got my foot in the door. And then it just sort of expanded from there. Who was the person who taught you the finer points of play-by-play. Because, of course, when you're growing up and you're six and you're just kind of imitating the people that you hear on TV with the big catchphrases, and at some point you need to learn the finer fundamentals of the craft. When was that point for you? Well, Chris taught me some. I mentioned Chris. He actually passed away of cancer during my junior year of high school. So unfortunately, I didn't really get the time with him that I would have liked. And by the same token, because I was so young around him, we all are young and naive when we're 14, 15, 16-year-olds. You don't necessarily appreciate everything in the moment. So I didn't get to take everything from Chris that I probably could have or should have because of that. Uh, And I still wish I would have opportunities to pick his brain now and again. But I think a lot of it. And I don't try to give myself credit for this, Logan. I hope this comes out right. But a lot of it was just self-taught because I'm sort of a uh, I'm someone who loves listening to old broadcasts. I'm constantly listening uh, in my office to an old baseball game or an old football game while I'm doing prep or, or doing busy work. If it's not something that requires me to have audio, I usually have an old game on or one you're self-checking or something where you're listening to somebody else you really like. And and so a lot of it was just hearing different things. And some of it is is hearing yourself and going, okay, that sounded awful. I can't ever say that again. But I think a lot of it is just the more exposure you get to it. And so Chris was extremely helpful growing up. uh, But by the same token, a lot of it was just repetition and listening to so many other people that you're able to figure out, okay, that doesn't work, this does, and then trying to incorporate it uh, into what you do. So you decided to go to South Dakota State, which in hindsight was a really good decision for your broadcasting career. But it's not exactly known as a broadcasting school, at least as far as I'm aware of. Obviously, it worked out for you. What went into the decision to go there instead of to, you know, if you had the love and the desire and the knowledge of what you wanted to do to try to go to a Northwestern or a Syracuse or a broadcast factory of some sort? I would love to say that it had to do with academics, but again, when we talk about the naivete and and some of that, uh, it had nothing to do with that. Basically, at that time, the the ownership of KCCR and Peer also owned a cluster of stations here in Brookings. Uh, Tom Coughlin was the general manager at that time, who now works for Datronics, the play-by-play guy for Jackrabbit women's basketball and the sports director was Scotty Quaz, who I still work with to this day and is a part of our Jackrabbit Sports Network. And they strongly encouraged me not to go to Brown Institute, which is no longer around in the Twin Cities. It was a two-year program that would kick out broadcasters. I was just looking for the easy way out because my um, childish opinion was, well, I'm already doing some radio here in high school. What more could I possibly need to learn? Like I said, I was very dumb and naive. So that was my original thought. And they said, no, you really need to go to a four-year school, you need to get your full degree when you're out here We'll take care of you. We we already have you in the, the corporate system. We'll be able to to give you some play-by-play opportunities, a lot of on-air shifts, and and we really think this would be something that, that would be good for you and something you should do. And and then certainly knowing SDSU was going to be making the move from Division Two to Division One, which it did, the exploratory or first year of that was during my sophomore year in college. So that didn't hurt. Uh, But it was just sort of knowing that uh, people were here who wanted me here, who would take care of me from a job standpoint. I knew I would get a good education because, as I said, I had three uncles who attended here and and were athletes. So that was sort of what led me here. And then I was given a number of of reps from the play by play standpoint, really from my freshman year. And and it sort of grew. And and as you pointed out, uh, kind of fell into it. But it ended up being a terrific decision. A lot of people, when they're trying to make it in play-by-play, you have to 
go to a small market. You have to move around a lot and eventually hope to get to that D1 break. And as you said, you were involved with the school as they were making the transition. You graduated and you did their baseball, if I remember correctly in what I read. And you've never had to move. <laughs> and uh, I guess, I mean, everybody's path is unique in its own way. Do you look back at that and just kind of wonder how the heck did this happen? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the full story of it is I knew the sports information director here at South Dakota State, Ron Lenz, who is going into the State Sports Hall of Fame here later this month. Ron was the SID at SDSU when I was in high school and through Chris Stevens, as I mentioned, his connections, Chris introduced me to Ron. And then when I came out here and started working for Scotty and Tom, Ron already knew me. And so I got to know him a little more. And during the winter months of my freshman year in college, the student who was working in Ron's office doing some of the odd jobs, the extra body, had graduated over the uh, winter break and they needed a new body and the collegian, the student newspaper, didn't have any body. And I happened to hear this conversation and I said, well, Ron, maybe that's something that would interest me. And so Ron hired me to go to work in the SID office. And it was through that opportunity as a student that I suddenly started working all these games, got to know the coaches, got to know the administrators. And that coupled with the high school play-by-play -play enabled me to start doing SDSU baseball as a sophomore in college on the radio. It wasn't student radio. It wasn't this or that. I did 30 college baseball games because I was willing to do it. Cheap labor, I suppose, is what you would call it nowadays. But I was willing to do it, had a passion for it, and had the connections here on campus. And by doing that, that opened up some doors where later on I filled in for a couple of men's basketball games, filled in for a football game. But because I was indoctrinated into the athletic side of the house, it made things so much easier because when somebody was needed, they didn't have to go and find some random person. I was already a known entity, and that was a huge help for me. And then uh, right as I was graduating college and finishing out a, a time in the SID office, Scotty left his job at Brookings Radio. So I went and worked a year as the sports director there, co-sports director with Dallas Cole. And during my time there, I did volleyball and did women's basketball as well. But as you know, Logan, the dynamics of radio aren't for everybody, and I just didn't know if it was for me. So I actually did go out for a few months to Rapid City, South Dakota, and work for Post-22, the American Legion baseball program out there, still kind of thinking that, well, if I had this baseball experience, it may get me to the next level. And being out there that summer, we hired a new uh, athletic director here at SDSU, Justin Sell, who is still here. Justin and I met that summer, and I explained to him, I love SDSU. I certainly didn't leave because of a dislike. It just, things were changing dynamically, and, and uh, it just wasn't for me where I was. And Justin said, well, hang on, let's just see if we can get something worked out. And within about uh, six weeks, they had come up with a concept of doing something they never had before, a 30-minute weekly TV show hiding, or highlighting, I should say, Jackrabbit to uh, Athletics, and wanted to know if I could host and produce it. And of course, what do you say in this business? Absolutely, I can do that. No problem. And I had no idea. But you get started in it. And it was that that led me back on campus in a full-time role. And then the roles have just been added on to. And, and I've been here ever since. But going back to the original point of all this, of the fact that I've literally lived in Brookings, save for a few months uh, since I was in college. It's it's remarkable to think about. I, I'm incredibly lucky, blessed. I don't know how you want to look at it, but uh, I've definitely traveled a unique path because I didn't have to uh, go all over trying to fight the job market. Everything just kind of fell into my lap, and I don't know why. Uh, uh, it's easy to ask why me when things go bad, but I have to ask why me when, when all this has happened so positively for me because uh, – uh, I'm just a, a kid from Pierre who's still wet behind the ears and getting to live out a dream. We talk about a lot of different paths on this show, and that's the one thing that's consistent is they're all different, and it all <laughs> has to do with people who work hard being ready for the opportunity whenever it shows its face, and I think there's a lot of something to that. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think it's a combination. You hear so much that people say, well, it's, it's who you know. And there's no question, Logan, and we chatted about this before we started the podcast, that who you know is a big deal. You can know whoever you want. If you're no good at what you do, it doesn't matter. They're not going to hire you anyway. 
And in fact, they'll be even more uh, unlikely to hire you because it's a bad reputation for them. So it's a combination of you need to to make good connections, need to know people. But by the same token, you also need to be able to to rise to the occasion when your number's called. And and uh, and I hope that that I've done that. And and uh, again, it's been an interesting path for me. But to be able to work in my alma mater and get to to cover some of the stories and the student athletes that we've had to hear over the past uh, 10, 11 years now since since I've gotten to do this is pretty special. So what was the process from moving from being, you know, doing fill in for basketball, maybe helping out with the TV show and uh, I shouldn't say helping out with the TV show, doing the TV show <laughs> to getting, you know, full time with the football and basketball programs? Well, like I said, I did the one year at the radio station, and at that point, we still did volleyball. Uh, so I did an entire year of volleyball, every match, home or away, and then did a whole year of women's basketball. That happened to be the first year SDSU was Division One tournament eligible, and the Jacks actually had a top 20 ranked women's basketball team and won a game in the NCAA tournament and came a basket away from the Sweet 16. I did that year, then went out to wrap it, as I said. Justin Sell was hired, and at that same time, a guy named Jerry Oster, who has done color for South Dakota State football for 20 years, Jerry had decided he he really just wanted to focus on his family. He had grandkids and and uh, wanted to take care of some other elements of things, and he wanted to take a step back. And Steve Emming did the play-by-play, who is a legend around here, and rightfully so, a tremendous talent. And Steve and I had a rapport because we had done some basketball together, and the thought was floated out that I could step in and and help with football. And then by the same token, as I said, with how things were changing on the radio side, they hadn't hired anybody to fill my spot when I had gone out to Rapid City for that summer. So there was nobody to do women's basketball and suddenly an opening here with football. And then this TV show came up. So uh, Justin, having been at other Division One institutions, knew that oftentimes you have a play-by-play voice in-house who does all this. So he said, well, gee, we can bring you on. You can be the producer and host of our TV show. You'll have the opportunity to help with football and women's basketball. Then we'll bring you back to do baseball, of course, in the spring as well. And that's kind of how it all came together was I would be the voice of women's basketball still, be able to do football now in the fall, and then do a few volleyball matches where it worked out. And and then be able to do that TV show. And so the combination of everything is we sort of put a few things together to get enough to make it worthwhile, and then it expanded from there. But that's kind of how the the uh, on-campus thing started was taking two or three different things and combining it together. What was the biggest challenge being a radio guy and then all of a sudden having to do a TV show? Uh, my face, that was certainly one of them. Uh, I got a face for radio. And, um, you know, I had gone to school. We mentioned uh, that uh, when I went to SDSU, I went for broadcast journalism and studied how to do TV reports and how to do some of those things. So in that standpoint, I was trained how to do it, but being trained how to do it and doing it are two different things. So while the play-by-play aspect came Natural, and you could do everything yourself. You have to rely on other people's video and telling stories, and and then timing things out. And so a lot of it was sort of trial by fire. And we had cobbled together some people to to help with it. And and it was sort of a last minute deal that first year. And and you were just happy to get a show on the air every Sunday night, really. But as it continued to grow. You know, a lot of it's storytelling, uh, Logan. It really was. And so when you're uh, doing a feature on a student athlete, whether it's a, a radio feature or a TV feature, I mean, very similar what you're looking for in content. As a matter of fact, when I would put them all together, a lot of times you're listening to those features and you're listening as if it's a radio feature because you haven't put in the video yet, but you need to be able to tell that story. And if the story doesn't make sense from an auditory standpoint, then it's not going to be good regardless of what video you have. So in that sense, it was a similar story, whether it was radio or TV. Some of the other production elements, and certainly you can't just show up in a polo shirt, needed to wear a suit and tie, and the lights needed to be right, and all those things you sort of learned as you went along and had some wonderful folks to help me in that regard. But the biggest thing is is knowing that even though it's a it's a different path of delivery, that it's a different, uh, whether it's television or radio, you're still a storyteller when you're doing that 30 minute show that we did. You're still trying to convey the emotions of things. And, and it's easy sometimes to lose that 
or to think, well, I got to do this or got to do that, whether you're writing the story for, for the website, whether you're producing it for video, whether you're producing it for radio, whatever it may be, it still comes down to storytelling. So when SDSU made the transition to division one, you've mentioned that a couple times, it yep. was, it was pretty controversial. Not everybody was for it. It's ended up being clearly the right decision. But at that time, handling that controversy while being on the air, did you acknowledge it? Did you ignore it and just talk about the game? How did you handle that? Well, to be honest, that was uh, a time where I was really only doing baseball. Um, I was doing, again, fill-in periodically for football. But by the time that I got into a role where I was the lead voice, if you will, we'd already come through the transition. And so we were on the division one eligibility scale we were in the summit league we were full steam ahead so all of the um, odd feelings about it really had gone by the wayside at that point there was still a little bit of hangover and and at that point usd had not become fully division one uh, the university of south dakota of course uh, which logan you know very well just down the road here and and so there were some people pining for the rivalry in the old days of the north central conference the jackson coyotes and so many other area schools used to be in when all were in division two but a lot of my time during that stretch i was working either in the sid office or just doing baseball and so i didn't have to deal with that nearly as much as as steve emming or scotty quaz did I could just sit and score the games in the SID office. It was a lot less controversial. I still remember, and maybe you'll remember this too, but my freshman year in college, I believe it was, I went to Morningside, which used to be in that old NCC, and yep. we beat South Dakota State in basketball <laughs> when uh, when they were making that transition, and it was a huge you deal You weren't the for only us. one. You weren't a... the only one, Logan. There were a lot of people <laughs> that beat that men's team that year. Yeah, and we, we never got on the schedule again. It was weird how that happened. <laughs> Uh, we're smart. We learn our lessons up here. One of the highlights, I'm sure, for you covering the Jackrabbits has been that, you know, you've had a lot of success. You've made a lot of playoff runs in football, and we're talking probably you've been home for two weeks from an NCAA tournament run. Uh, I shouldn't say run. I mean, you lost in the first game because it was a certainly a tough opponent. But take us through what it's like being in an NCAA tournament national environment well first off it's such a different atmosphere because when you travel with the jackrabbit men's basketball program you're a lot of times commercially flying if you do charter fly it's a twin prop 30 seat plane you go to the ncaa tournament and the ncaa takes care of every institution and you're getting a huge plane that keeps the band and the cheer team and the administrators and everybody. And so there's more seats in the first 10 rows of this plane than we ever have when we charter fly. So it's a completely different uh, set of elements when you fly. And of course, then the other thing too, you're usually arriving 24 hours before tip. In this case, you're arriving two days before you play. And so all of this, it, it's just, it's different. And people say, oh, you try to make it the same. And maybe when you actually get out on the floor, you can, but all of it leading up to it is completely different. And then, of course, you're dealing with so many different media people when you are there for the day before, which every team gets to practice and has a press conference, and everything is very strictly laid out by the NCAA. So once you go through it a time or two, you get the hang of it. But the first time, there's a little bit of trying to make sure that you don't step in the wrong place because, as everybody jokes, Logan, but it's true, if you grab your cup of Coke or your can of Coke and you try to go out to the floor, somebody will stop you and tell you you must pour that into the Dasani NCAA cup before you take it out to the floor because that's what the NCAA and their corporate sponsorship dictates. So you laugh about some of these things, but there are people who come through and check this. So you have to make sure that you do that properly. So all those things you kind of laugh at, but they are concerns the first time around because you want to make a good impression. You want to do things the right way. Really, once you get going, uh, the game's the game. And it's a, it's obviously a lot of fun as an underdog when you play well, and the Jacks have done that even though they've lost on three or four occasions because the crowd there 
the top seed, in this case, Ohio State this past uh, year. Ohio State's the team that they have a good number of fans, more than SDSU. But as the game goes along and the Jacks are competitive, everybody else that isn't there to root for Ohio State, they start rooting for the underdog. So all of a sudden, you've got an arena of 15,000 people and you've got a couple thousand Ohio State fans. Everybody else starts rooting for the Jackrabbits. And that becomes really neat to see that and to see how the, the student-athletes respond. Um, as far as the actual game and how things are from a radio standpoint, uh, one of the biggest things is just the fact that when you cover a Summit League game, you have 75 to 90-second media timeouts. And at the NCAA tournament, you're talking two and a half to three minutes. And so literally we can come back from break and I can read everybody's entire life story before the ball gets inbounded again. So there's little things timing wise that you have to get uh, used to and you can go a little longer before you actually take your break where you're in such a hurry a lot of times in high school games or in lower level college because you have such a tight window to be able to take your commercial time in. So that's something else to to get used to. But overall, it's just it's another game and you try to handle it the the way that uh, you always do. Like I joked earlier, it's hard sometimes because there's so many other things going on, but get to meet a lot of wonderful people. And and we're lucky in this case, we went to Boise, Idaho this past uh, March and and the hospitality there was was tremendous. And getting to go to these different places, you meet the commentators nationally for TV and radio. You meet the opposing crews, you meet writers and and just try to network and, and say hi to them and and kind of get the whole tournament feel, I guess. What were other examples of either you or someone else you know stepping in the wrong place with their uh, with their Coke or their Dasani cup being incorrect? Um, well, I can remember earlier we had uh, one of our administrators sit next to me with a Powerade bottle, and they came over and chided him, and he said, well, it's the same company that sponsors all this, for crying out loud, and they just kind of let him go. But uh, they're sticklers about that stuff. And then the other things, too, of course, is you can't shoot video except for one person from each school. You have to go through the the television uh, uh, broadcaster video requirements. And that's something that we deal with on on the other side of the house here at SDSU. So you have some of those things. And they're really like I said, if you pay attention, it's hard to screw a lot of this up. But people inevitably do. And, of course, you have to have your pass on at all times. And, and it doesn't matter who you are. You better have that thing handy. Uh, I've seen some people who think that they don't need to be stopped, that uh, until you show them that pass, you're not getting to the next level. That's just how it goes with these bigger events. But I wish I had better stories in that regard other than just one or two of uh, make sure you pour that drink into the Dasani or the Coke cup. Uh, that's That's really about it. The stuff outside of the tournament, the, you know, I'm assuming there's pep rallies with boosters and, uh, you know, going to eat with the team at places that are probably a little bit nicer than normal. How much of that is different from what you're you from what you're used to? Well, I'll be honest with you, Logan, my philosophy when it comes to the NCAA tournaments is once we land and get to the hotel, I try to stay as far away from the team as possible. My whole thing always is I'm not a member of the team. You know, I'm not at practice every day. Yeah, I pop in occasionally. Yes, I have good rapport with them. Yes, I travel with them during the regular year, but I'm not in the locker room. I'm not a member of the team. Yes, I'm an extension in some respects, but I'm not a part of it. And so I always think this is their time to enjoy it. They don't need one more person who's hanging around them and trying to bug them. Even though I'm I'm not, that could be how it could be construed. And I just don't want to get into that. So because we have so many other people on those trips, I kind of stay with them and we'll do our own thing for dinner and lunch and give them their space. Certainly you see them the day before at the pre-tournament press conference and practice and you associate with them some there. But this is their time. It's not mine. And so I definitely stay away from them in that regard. I even do that some during the regular season. There are times that you you have to be with them. But uh, I just try not to be too much uh, on any of the teams you travel with because that's they're not traveling for me. They're traveling for them, and I happen to get the free ride. And And by the same token, the other thing, too, that comes with this is so often the teams want to go to the typical place where, hey, we can go to Texas Roadhouse or we can go to Applebee's. We can take care of everybody. I'm much more interested in, boy, is there a, a small out-of-the-way dive that uh, serves potatoes here in Boise, Idaho that's amazing that we have to try? Is there some place like that or is there a, a special local hangout? 
I'd much rather do that with a few of our administrators than bug the team when they've got their own thing to worry about. So that's, again, my philosophy of it, kind of stay away from them. They do their own thing and and just try to enjoy the sights and sounds because when you get to go to places like Salt Lake City or Boise, Idaho or, or some of these uh, facilities that we've never been to before – Maybe you'll never get back here again. So take advantage of the city and and of the town and everything it has to offer uh, as much as you can. Before we continue, it's time to take a quick moment to hear from today's sponsor, Nellwater Sports. Hey guys, Darren Goldwater again of Nellwater Sports. I've been a play-by-play announcer on the regional and national level for the last 15 years, so I know exactly like you how hard it is to actually have executives see and hear your work. That's why I created Nellwater Sports. We're a demo reel production company specializing in putting your best foot forward. Our clients have earned jobs in the NHL, AHL, AAA baseball. Others have advanced to the regional and national level calling collegiate sports. Some others have catapulted over 50 radio market sizes. Check us out, NellWaterSports.com. Mention this ad and get $50 off your first reel. That's NellWaterSports.com. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Did you find any unique, out-of-the-way dive places with fantastic potatoes in Boise that I should check out should I ever visit Boise? There was a place, and the name escapes me, and we didn't actually end up going, but actually all they served was burgers and fries. But you literally could walk in and you could pick the cut of potato, the type of potato. I mean, you picked every bit of it. Do you want russet? Do you want the type of potato? Do you want it curly? Do you want it straight? Do you want, I mean, whatever you want it, shoestring, you picked the type of fry. It was almost like one of those build your own burger places, but it was a build your own fry place and the burger was on the side. And uh, like I said, because of, uh, of some other things, we didn't end up actually going to that place. But those are the types of places I like to go. Uh, when we went to Spokane one year, and we've been out there for a couple of different uh, uh, events over the years, they have a phenomenal breakfast diner that literally is inside of an old train car. And it's a huge deal in Spokane. It's phenomenal breakfast. And uh, not a lot of people can fit in there, but it's well worth it. Those are the places that I love getting the chance to go to. And and uh, I could give you a full list here. We don't have enough time to go through all of this, them. This is a but... podcast. You said that you had until 2 a.m., so we got well, all kinds of time. Yes, we do have a lot of time, I suppose. There's a, a phenomenal breakfast joint uh, when we've been to Montana <laughs> State on a couple of occasions we've gone to. That's sort of a, a rustic feel to it, and we like to do that. Again, to me, if I'm going to go on the road, I'm not going to go to your traditional – I'm not going to name names, but your traditional – uh, joints that we have in Brookings or even in Sioux Falls. Let's go to someplace local that we don't have where we're at and try something new. That's part of the fun of being on the road. And and so try to do that as often as possible. And, and to me, that, again, it gives you that local flair. It can potentially help your broadcast because you might bump into somebody or have a story about how things work on a local level that maybe you wouldn't normally. Um, but then also you get just a better feel of everything. And so that's one of the, again, the highlights to me of, of traveling is getting to see uh, new places and new things. What's your philosophy on getting kind of the unique stories about visiting a place that serves phenomenal breakfast or bumping into somebody randomly into your broadcast? Because there's, there's a right and a wrong way to do it, and I don't always know what that is. What's your philosophy on that? Well, for starters, I give Terry Vandervek all the credit in the world for this. Terry was the SDSU beat writer for the Argus Leader, the Sioux Falls newspaper, when I first got going as the play-by-play guy. And Terry and I became very good friends and traveled together for a number of years covering these teams. Now Terry works for Sanford in Sioux Falls. But Terry would scout it out, and he would put out feelers on social media. Hey, we're going to such and such. Uh, You got any tips for us? And then he would look through the two or three nationally known uh, food review sites and see if something jumped off the table. Then if he was called by the opposing newspaper or by an opposing uh, radio play-by-play commentator, by the way, while I got you on the phone, do you have a place we should go for breakfast or should we hit up some specific place for for dinner? That type of thing. So you try to put out as many feelers as possible. And again, if three different people say, hey, you got to go to this place, then you probably got to go to this place. And sometimes you're you go to a, a conference site for the first time and, and you tell the SID, hey, we went to jacks down here on third street. Well, that's really good. But, you know, next time you should try Mel's. It's just off the beaten path. 
Oh, okay. Well, then you make a note. We'll go to Mel's next time. And so, again, building up relationships, it's more than just the tidbits on the player. Sometimes it's where you could have a, a nice bite to eat or uh, or just enjoy an evening sometimes. And so that's usually how I try to approach it is if it's someplace I've never been, we'll, we'll talk to uh, somebody who – whether it's play-by-play guy, SID, whatever. And then sometimes, too, it depends upon if I'm traveling with the team. It might just be what's near us. Is there something within walking distance that I should try? If not, maybe I will just ride with the team. So that can be a factor as well. But I think if you, just like when you're doing prep for the broadcast itself, use as many sources as possible. And if there is a, uh, seems to be a consistent thought about a specific place, then that's probably a place that you should check out. Well, that's enough food talk for a while. I think that uh, people are going to be very confused as to what this podcast is about, but that's okay. You know, one of the things I want to preface this by I've listened to quite a few of your broadcasts and I personally really enjoy your call, but you don't have, you know, the traditional deep baritone voice that associates with the stereotypical broadcaster. Has you ever found that to be any kind of hindrance or has it just been about what you say? I have never had it as a hindrance. I have had people remark to me that I have a high pitched voice. Um, I have seen comments on various sites uh, of people who have accused me of sounding like a high school girl, uh, which then made the rounds in the athletic department. And I got made fun of, uh, including a text from RAD one day, who's the high pitched girl doing the post game today. So that was, that was rather humorous. Um, yeah, I, I don't have that deep baritone voice. I suppose some of that I'm, I'm still on the younger side of things, I guess. I don't know. I just I have what I have. I've had people tell me that uh, that I have a, a, a rather uh, high pitched voice in some respects. And and uh, I mean, I, I think it's it's more like a baritone. It's not a bass, but I don't think it's a it's an alto either. But uh, like I said, it's never hindered me. I've never had somebody come to me uh, around here and say, boy, if you don't go about three octaves lower, you're out of a job. That's never happened. I, I'm conscious of it just from the standpoint of I don't want to sound like a train whistle when a big play happens, and I don't think I usually do. But other than that, it's it's never been something that has really come up, other than, like I said, periodically somebody will, will make a comment about it. But uh, it's more so just humorous around here than it is anything because, like everything else, this is the the voice God gave me, and for better or worse, just like the face that God gave me, this is what I got, Logan. You only got one voice. You only got one face. You got to do the best with what you got. Well, you can you can have uh, medical adjustments to your face if you really wanted to, right? Well, <laughs> and and speaking of that, with hair plugs like Joe Buck had, I suppose I could change my voice a little bit too for the worse. But uh, but yeah, I this is what I got. I'm just doing the best with the hand God dealt me. It's kind of a running joke that someone's making fun of you for sounding like a 12-year-old girl or whatever, but... Well, once or twice. It hasn't come up a lot, Logan. It's what, just, uh, like I said, a comment came up, and then we, we had some fun about it for a few weeks. So what I was going to go to off of that is how much do you pay attention to message board comments, Facebook comments, stuff like that? Not necessarily just about your voice, but about your call in general and people who are critical of you. Oh, I agree 100% with those who like me and disagree 100% with those who don't. I mean, obviously. Uh, no, I, I try not to read much of it. Uh, the problem that I have, I shouldn't say problem, the uniqueness of the job that I have is that we are putting out all sorts of different content for Jackrabbit fans. And so you want some feedback. And if I go out and ask questions – Obviously, more times than not, I'm going to get the, oh, yeah, everything's great. And people might have thoughts or opinions on things. And unless you hit the right people, it's just human nature, Logan. If you ask me you know, what I think of your play-by-play, I'm going to say, oh, yeah, you're great. Somebody else comes up to me, what do you – well, you know, I didn't like this. I didn't like that. That's just human nature for most people. And so it, it's nice to be able to see uncensored thoughts and sometimes go, hey – we could tweak that or, you know, that's not a bad idea. We should start making that available. Uh, just a, on a small note, there was one time uh, that I saw that we were putting press conferences up after the game video of SDSU coaches 
but we weren't putting the opposing coaches up. We would do stuff with it on our own, but we weren't posting them on our social media site. We had some people commenting, boy, it'd be really nice to see that. Nobody came to me and said it, but people kept talking about it. And so finally I was like, well, if there's this much interest, why don't we do that? And we get just as many hits for the opposing coach as we do from our own coaches because people want to hear what they said about the facility and about the the game and whatnot. So those are things where it can be really useful. So it's hard to say, well, you never want to look at it. But by the same token, you have to take a measured tone. Uh, I can remember one time seeing somebody who wrote a soliloquy about how bad I was, and he started with, well, I never get to listen to him. I only watch the occasional highlight. But, and then rattled off 10 things that I'm just really poor at in my job. And I kind of laughed going, well, if you never listen, then either you're not a credible witness here or something else is going on. And within his points, there's probably some truth in there. But I try not to worry too much about it because, like I said earlier, and you mentioned all the success that we've had as an athletic department, along with that, most people think you do a good job because the teams are winning. If I cover teams that were 4-28 and most people would probably think I'm not doing a very good job because, again, that's just human nature. So I keep an eye on it to an extent. I certainly am not on the boards every minute of every day. You know, Twitter stuff pops up. You see it and you see some good, you see some bad. But again, we've had a really good run of success here and we have a pretty good uh, set of folks who help on the production side of it. And so with all of that, if we just keep scoring touchdowns and making threes, I hope that uh, I'm able to overcome a lot of that. Who do you rely on to give you critical feedback for improvement? Everybody has to have, you know, some source of someone who will tell them, you know, you're doing great, but you'd be better if you did this. Who's your source for that? Um, There isn't one person. I think our crew, and there are two guys who help with our women's basketball, Brad Peterson and Scotty Quaz, who both have been doing it uh, almost as long as I've been alive. And with their involvement, we're really good at keeping an eye on things. And we have a group message uh, that we may send a note, hey, you know, keep an eye on this, or hey, I thought the Nats were a little too loud here, you know, stuff like that, that we're all kind of helping each other out because we get it. We're not here to tell each other we're the greatest things ever. If there's something that we can be a good teammate on, we want to do that. And and Scotty does sidelines for me for football, so we're constantly working together anyway, and so we'll bounce stuff off each other even during uh, timeouts of, uh, hey, you know, I did, I'm, did I hear that wrong? Is that how that came off? Yeah, I shouldn't have done it that way. You know, stuff like that. And then usually what I'll try to do is is once a year, and about this time of year, uh, find somebody who I know and trust, who I can send a broadcast to, who might not be a Jackrabbit fan, who might not have listened much, and just say, hey, here's a tape. Uh, let me know what you think. The most recent example I did it was with Jerry Schemmel. And Jerry is a South Dakota native who was the radio voice of the Denver Nuggets and now does radio for the Colorado Rockies. And Jerry, being a South Dakota native, follows the Jackrabbits some, and I've gotten to know Jerry. And and while he was at spring training last year, he listened to a game, and and I said, just be as as open and honest, send me as many notes as possible. And he said, off, hey, thought you did this really well. Keep an eye on this. Uh, you know, don't be afraid to do this or that. And that's invaluable uh, because. Jerry doesn't need to do that for me or other people who have done it. And I've had people email me. I do the same thing for them when they reach out. Uh, I think that's tremendous because you say, hey, uh, don't sugarcoat it. You know, listen to this from start to finish. Don't listen for five minutes. Listen from start to finish. Put down everything you think of, the good, the bad, the ugly. And some of it maybe we can fix. Some of it might just be a bad night or whatever the case may be. But to me, that's the most valuable is is that to, to find that person who can listen to something and, and hear it with a different set of ears. Because as you know, Logan, you know, you and, and John and your crew there might bounce around stuff, but you're always around each other. You're always listening. And there's some value to that. But to bring somebody in who hasn't heard much and to get their opinion when they know what's going on, I think that is just as if not more valuable. And so for me, I try to do that once a year while at the same time, listening to my stuff periodically. That's actually where the video highlights come in kind of handy because you get home that night and you eat your post-game meal and all of a sudden here the video guys have cranked out five minutes of highlights. You can go back and go, you know, 
I, I don't like how I said that. I did that okay. That was good. Nah, I got to tweak that. And some of it's, again, just watching yourself and, and keeping a, an open set of ears because we can say whatever we want. We have to be confident in what we do, but we're going to make mistakes and we're going to make calls we wish we could have back. And, and I've got a number of them, and we all do. And you just hope you don't screw up too badly in the big moment. But uh, uh, again, I think the crew that I have is big for me, but also uh, being able to occasionally find somebody else to give a bigger picture look at things is huge also. South Dakota State or South Dakota in general is unique because it's a very rural and agriculturally based economy. And with that, doing radio for football in the fall, probably less so basketball in the winter, but there's a lot of people who are not watching South Dakota State games on TV. They're listening to it on the radio in a tractor, in a pickup truck, while they're trying to bring the harvest in. I guess, how does that maybe, I guess, how important is it to you to have that unique audience that's still listening to the radio a lot and using that as maybe their main method of of taking in the Jackrabbits? No, it's a good question, and I know you asked uh, both Joe Van Gore and, and Jeff Colhane similar questions when you had them on. And, Shh, and, don't and, tell anyone that. Uh, hey, hey, stealing from one person is uh, is libelous. Stealing from many is called research and development. All right, so there's nothing wrong, <laughs> Logan. Don't worry about it. But uh, it, it's an interesting uh, thought, and I think we're in a unique situation at South Dakota State for two reasons. Number one, like you just said. A lot of football Saturdays, we have people who are out harvesting the crops. We have people who are out on the farm, you know, milking the cows, whatever it may be. And because of that, you have some additional uh, listeners. And the other thing, too, is our flagship, WNAX Radio, which can be heard in parts of eight different states. It is a mammoth signal. Now, certainly it doesn't have the per capita of a station that covers Chicago and 30 miles in each direction or New York City. So you don't have as many people it reaches in that regard, but it covers a huge area. And I'll get messages from people who are flying into Omaha on a Thursday night that there's a basketball game and they'll get in their car at a quarter to seven and they can pick up the game in Omaha on 570. And then as they start driving north, the signal gets a little better and a little better. And and uh, they'll listen the whole way back to Brookings or Sioux Falls or whatnot. So you'll get messages like that because 570 is so ingrained in people and a lot of the farmers for all the different uh, ag reports and whatnot they do during the day, leave it on all day. By default, it's there when the Jackrabbit basketball game comes on that night or when the football game comes on during the day. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And uh, you can't broadcast the way you would a Seton Hall game the way you would a South Dakota State game. It's a little different uh, because when we're talking you know, about these kids – uh, folks in Mitchell are listening and they want to know, like I always say, you have people listening who want to know what the defense is and are they running one four high or are they running screen and rolls? They want to know that. And then you also have uh, so-and-so's grandma who is living in Mitchell, who's watched this little girl grow up and she wants to know, does she have braids in her hair tonight or not? And we laugh, but that's your broad spectrum, and you need to be able to cover all of it. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case in some of your bigger markets, certainly not doing national games. But when we're covering South Dakota State, that's a huge part of it. And you have to be aware of that, and you have to wear that on your sleeve. And, and you know, I'm not somebody who grew up on a farm, but have enough people around me who, who did, and so you learn some things that way and, and do your best to, to portray that. But you, you can't come in – uh, to it with a, a larger than thou thought about how some of these things work because uh, South Dakotans will see right through you. You have to be genuine about uh, the areas and, and the towns and and all of that. And if you're not, like I said, they're going to put uh, put your feet to the fire. So it's a huge deal. The fact that we are rural and the fact that we have so many people that listen while they're out combining or, or whatever the case may be. That's that's a big deal, and we appreciate it. And and if we didn't appreciate it, then I would say we needed to go find a, a different thing to do. I want to preface this next question by telling you you don't have to answer it, and if you'd like to just skip that, I'll edit it out later. But I know your son has had some health challenges over the last year. I know you had to miss at least one game when he uh, was going to the doctor. How difficult is that? 
to I mean obviously the decision to help your son is instead of a game is 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 the right one but how difficult is it to balance uh that situation it's a difficult one at times um Logan my son has uh, epilepsy and then he has uh, OCD uh ADHD uh SPD uh you name an acronym he probably has it and I say that half jokingly but uh Joe is a growing 4 year old but has presented a number of health challenges for us and we've literally spent uh almost 3 full months over the course of his 4 years of overnight stays in hospitals in the region in an attempt to uh be able to get him the care that he needs and he's doing very well right now all things considered and we're very blessed he's our only child that my wife Jill and I have uh, Jill is a nurse, and Jill is incredible. She's the one that manages all the medication, knows all the ins and outs. We talk ins and outs of radio that people outside of it wouldn't understand. She gets in the room with the nurses and doctors, and they're talking a foreign language, Logan. I have no idea what's going on. So I just sit there and marvel, and uh, she's his biggest caretaker. And because of what she does, I'm able to still do some of these things. And it would be very hard if she didn't have the knowledge and the understanding, not only of the job that I do, but of what Joe needs. And, and there have been some challenges with it. You know, we took Joe into the hospital a couple of days before we played our biggest game of the regular season. And it literally wasn't until the day of the game, I was for sure I was going to be coming back to campus to do that game. And Joe and Jill actually stayed in the hospital. We talked about it and Jill just said, we're kind of in a holding pattern here. We know he's fine. We just got to get some medications figured out. No point in you sitting here watching the game. We're all going to watch the game anyway if you stay here. You might as well go back up there and do it and get something out of it because you're just going to drive yourself nuts if you stay here anyway. And that was very sweet of her to say, and that's what I ended up doing. But I have missed some games. I didn't go on that road trip. Uh, there's been a, a handful of games here or there I have missed because of it, and and obviously I would do it again. And I am very lucky that uh, my bosses here and, and our administration are as caring as they are. And Justin has said on more than one occasion, you take as much time as you need. You know, family comes first and and uh, whatever we need to do to help out, you let us know. And, and I'm forever grateful for that. Uh, but like I said, if it wasn't for my wife being as understanding as she is and, and being the caretaker, I wouldn't be able to do that. But I'm I'm lucky because it gave me a release. You know, you hang out and you sit in the hospital all day with your son. And, and even though he's doing better, he just – I mean, those walls can get uh, at you pretty quickly. And to be able to have a release that particular day, to come back here, to be able to do that game, talk to all these people who, of course, come up and show their support. That goes back to what we just talked about with the, the rural feel of South Dakota. There are people I've never met who have reached out and offered their help, whether it's financially or spiritually or emotionally. Again, that doesn't happen everywhere. This is a real special place. And instances like uh, what we've been through with our son remind us of that and and uh, not that there have been a lot of opportunities, but it would make it very hard for me and for us to leave because it's more than just a place to do play-by-play and a place to to be involved in an athletic department. It, it truly is a home, and it truly is a family feel. What are your broadcast horror stories where something went horribly wrong with equipment or broadcast location. And I ask this one to everyone, so yes. you, you don't even have to uh, call me out on it this time. But, uh, <laughs> you know, what are some of your unique stories where something went horribly wrong that you laugh at now but was mortifying in the moment? Um, well, I got a few. Before I go to the, the horrifying one, just the uniqueness, uh, I started, I mentioned in college, doing – high school games in the area, and I was doing Sioux Valley High School football for two years. And the first year we played at Garrettson, and they had had a tornado come through town and knocked down their small press box, and they did not have a press box. So they had built up um, uh, they had built up, what do you call them, that painters use, the, yeah, the they, scaffolds. They had built up the scaffold, and had enough room up there to put three or four bodies up there. And I was led to believe that's where I would call this game from was on some scaffolding when I got there. And this is 12, 13 years ago. So you're doing rotary phone and you don't have much contact with people till you get there. When I showed up, I was told there wasn't enough room up there, but they had been kind enough to back up the flatbed of an 18-wheeler right next to the scaffolding. So, of course, you're about, what, a foot and a half off the ground? And both teams shared the same sideline. So I literally did the game out in the elements uh, with both 
benches on the side I was at. And it wasn't so bad when it was 40 to 40. I mean, you got down to about the five yard line and you had no idea. Four, three, two, one. I mean, it was just, you were guessing. But that's probably the most unique place to have called a game from. Um, as far as horror stories, there was one year we did a, a football game at Minnesota. The next day, flew to Arizona State to do basketball, and my luggage and gear all got lost. So I slept in the same clothes that I had done a football game in the day before. And literally about two hours before tip at about 20 minutes before we left for the arena, a knock on the door in the airport had delivered all the stuff. Uh, otherwise, we would have been makeshift with some stuff Arizona State was going to provide. And I have no idea how that would have gone. But thankfully, everything arrived. So that was a near horror story that we thankfully averted. Um there's been all sorts of times that I put my foot in my mouth. Uh, the Jackrabbit football team won a playoff game last year, so in the fall of 2016, on a Chase Vinatieri uh, tie-breaking field goal in the final minute, and Vinatieri hit it off the top of the right upright, and I described it off the crossbar as opposed to the upright. And the funniest part of all this was I thought that I had nailed the call live. We go back to sometimes how things go in the moment. <laughs> And in the post game, we replay the audio. And so I'm describing all the different scores. And I say, and then here was the game tying field goal. And I hear the call. And I was, of course, at the top level of the press box. If I could have dug a hole underneath the field, I would have crawled under that hole, under the field, into that hole because of about how small I felt after butchering that moment. And uh, because obviously the crossbar on the top of the upright are slightly different heights, and the fact that there's only one crossbar, there is not a right crossbar. Other than that, though, I think I nailed the call. But uh, that's probably the worst call that uh, that I've ever had. Um, I'm sure there's more that would come to mind if I thought long enough. But at the top of the list would be uh, would be those few. I want to ask you this specifically because when. I had the fortunate opportunity to do a fill-in game for Oral Roberts in North Dakota State. I mm -hmm. reached out to Jeff Colhane, and he shared his boards, and he must have been talking to you around that time because you also <laughs> yep. sent him your boards, and I still have them both and have kind of been analyzing them to see if I wanted to incorporate any of the stuff you guys do. But walk us through um, how you developed your board and your preparation process. Well, since we're just got done with basketball season, we'll focus on basketball. Sure. Well, for all the sports, but obviously focusing on basketball, I do my own charts that I design specifically for myself in Microsoft Excel. And again, with the SID background that I have, and I've always kind of been a, a bit of a nerd for stuff like this, uh, I'm pretty good with Excel. So I specifically design my boards, and usually every year I tweak here or there, but um, I try to have the old deal of everything I might need on my boards going into a game. There may be little things that you need to refer to on the game notes, but I try to have as many things as possible. So obviously you have your generic stuff for each player. You have your name and your number and your height, weight, hometown, and, and class. And then reading through the bios, and I'm not going to put in every stat, but if They've averaged 15 points each of the last two years. You might put that in. Certainly if they've had any accolades. Um, then you go through the game notes. And if so-and-so scored in double figures 12 straight games. Or so-and-so's missed their last nine three-pointers. Or this guy is, is uh, on a streak of 22 consecutive free throws made. Any little thing like that. I work with the coaching staff. They provide me a copy of the scouting report. And obviously, I'm not going to go into tremendous detail. A lot of it is way over most listeners' heads. But there might be little things on there about um, that this person is more of a shooter or he's a pass-first guy. There might be something in there that you can use. And then also try to watch a little video on them at the same time for familiarity with the names and, and what they look like, certainly if they have long hair, if they're a redhead or or whatnot, those are always little tips that uh, maybe you can provide too. Then the other thing I'll always do, if they are from a town I'm not familiar with, is familiarize myself with that town. Because I have, on a number of occasions, thought I knew how to say a name of a, of a town. Uh, you know, Louisville, <laughs> uh, Kentucky. Well, it's Louisville, Colorado, just as an example. And so... I'll look it up. How do you say it? And then where is this? Is this a northern Dallas suburb 
or is it two hours east of Oklahoma City or whatever the case might be so that when you say that town and the listener goes, where the heck is that? Then you can say that. Or in some cases, maybe you don't say this odd town in Missouri that nobody knows, but you say he's from the Kansas City area because folks in KC know that's a suburb, but people in South Dakota might not. So if you say he's from the Kansas City area, you're correct. You're not stretching the truth, and it's just simpler for everybody. So stuff like that I try to have a handle on. And then I have a a spot for all their stats, obviously, too. Uh, For SDSU individuals, I also keep their career highs for points, rebounds, and assists on that same board, so it's readily available for me. Uh, And then I, at the top, have all the team stats, and I'll put where they rank in the league and nationally. And sometimes that stuff means nothing. But by the same token, you might have a case where, uh, like in Ohio State, Ohio State had averaged so many three-point attempts per game, while SDSU strategy in the tournament was to make them shoot threes, and they eclipsed their season average at halftime. So that's not necessarily a huge number you typically would refer to, but it was a big deal in that game. So you have it handy. Other thing I always do with the, the teams that the Jacks play is uh, not only the records, but uh, their school colors. Because you might say, for instance, South Dakota State is yellow and blue. South Dakota State is not gold. A lot of people will say gold just out of habit. It's not gold. North Dakota State is not gold. It's green and yellow. It's not gold. And sometimes the schools have specifics like Denver. It's crimson. It's not red. It's crimson. So you want to get those specific details down because that's what they are. And those are things that I incorporate into the board as well. And I might put in the enrollment and and things like that. If it's a, a unique institution that the Jacks never play, it's not nearly as big a deal when SDSU plays a USD or an NDSU, but it is when you play the, the out-of-the-way schools in the non-conference. So anything that I can do in that regard, I try to have all that on the board in advance Uh, And then I also keep track of points as well, which I know some do, some don't, but I'll keep track of points and fouls on my board as well. Everything's typed out, and then I try to print them in color. Sometimes on the road, you have to fall back on black and white at the hotel, but uh, usually I'm able to print them in color. And then something may come up on the fly that I'll have to jot a note down for. But uh, like I said, I try to have everything I could possibly need on those boards and then they're right in front of me throughout the course of the broadcast. No, I can tell you that I mean I wasn't going to change them in the middle of the year, but seeing your guys as I I like a lot of things cuz you guys just have it uh arranged in a way to get more information in easier. So, uh, listeners probably don't care about that, but it's a compliment for you. Inside baseball, and I appreciate that, Logan. And I'm still, I've been playing around with the basketball ones here after this year. Maybe I'll tweak something here or there, or or, uh, or one little thing. And this probably won't make the podcast, but one little thing is I've always written down, and I use a different pen for each half. So I have one color for the first, one color for the second, and I've got multiple colors. It's not like I'm to that degree of, of, of anal, but just having different colors so you can differentiate if one guy's had a big half uh, compared to the other. But I've been in the habit of always writing down the twos and threes. Well, it's getting to the point now, especially with a guy like Mike Dom, who seems to score 30 points every time out, where I'm not even able to add them up. I just refer to the monitor all the time. And we're lucky enough in Division One we have that monitor where I'll probably change this year, and I've actually started to design it where instead of keeping the twos and threes, I'll just mark off the point total because that to me is more valuable knowing all the stats that are provided to us. And and I didn't ever think I would do that, but the more and the more I do it, the more that I'm kind of succumbing to that thought that that's what I need to do. So my boards are a constant uh, flux. Usually once we get into the year, they're pretty set. But as soon as the year gets over, I always have three or four things. I should add this. I should subtract that. And and, uh, and then I get myself kind of down a dangerous rabbit hole. <laughs> I went through the same thing covering Vermilion High School. I don't know how close you follow uh, South yeah, Dakota Plitzy High School. Yeah, he would score yep. 52 points in a high school game, and it would be trying to add them up quickly in your head was just <laughs> impossible. <laughs> I can imagine. And again, you guys that cover high school, you have it so much worse than us because we get everything provided and the monitors and all that. And what what we consider a horror story, having to use CBS Sports uh, Game Tracker 
to keep tabs on points would be a high school play-by-play guy's just heaven because it would all be there. But it's so much worse than everything else we deal with. So that's why uh, I give you guys all the credit in the world. I've been there too, and and uh, you just uh, you you gotta find any way you can to get the job done. I I think I've mentioned this on the podcast or somewhere before, but I did a small college in Aberdeen for many years, and they had very I didn't rely on their uh, on their live stats. Let's just put it that way. And one day, sure. we played a guarantee game at Weber State, and they had a replay monitor. And I was yep. all excited about it for a large portion of the pregame. And then once the game started, I forgot to look at it all the time as I was so used to not having it. And it wasn't until about halfway through the second half when I was like, I wish I could see a replay. And then, like, dope. Yes, you can see a replay. And the funniest part of that, Logan, I think the Jackets were out there either the week before or the week after you were out there. It was one or the other. <laughs> this was about five years ago, so it's it's entirely yeah. possible. Yeah, I because I, I remember seeing that uh, uh, because I think we ended up playing presentation shortly after that too. But nevertheless, anyway, that's uh, probably about all I got for you today. So we've uh, taken up an hour of your time, and I try to keep it to that, but. Again, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. No, I appreciate it, Logan. It's always fun to talk shop and uh, and talk with a fellow broadcaster because in the end, whether you're doing Division One or uh, professional or D three or high school or whatever the case may be, I mean, we're all we're all doing the same thing essentially. And uh, and if you can describe what's happening and and tell the story in in an entertaining and informative way, then then you're doing your job, and that's what should be the goal of of all of us is to is to be entertaining, to be informative, and and to do our job, and and that's uh, what you're striving to do, certainly what I am, and and it's fun to swap stories. Make sure to subscribe to the show. You can do that by going to saythedamnscore.com, which allows you to subscribe to the podcast and the social media platform of your choice. And thanks again to our sponsor for this week, Nellwater Sports, the best real service that I have come across in talking to different sportscasting people across the country. So make sure to check out NellWaterSports.com. And if you're looking for any kind of a video reel, I would really suggest checking into what Darren and company have to offer. This has been the Say the Damn Score podcast. Next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more. Hi, this is Joel Morgan, the voice of Valley City State University in Valley City, North Dakota. I think it's safe to say that every broadcaster's goal is to be the best they can be at their craft. But just like anything else, if you don't have a game plan, it's hard to execute. Looking to set my goals for the upcoming season, I submitted my audio to the critique crew at SaveTheDamnScore.com. Within a week, I got back a written critique which included areas of improvement, my strengths, and a fresh set of ideas to help improve my broadcast. With the help of the critique crew at SaveTheDamnScore.com, I now have a game plan for improvement. So I suggest if you're looking to get better, step up your game and get a fresh set of ears on your play-by-play, visit SaveTheDamnScore.com today.